Welcome to this message in the Biblical Worldview series. This is a series of messages for Christians. A 2020 Barna poll showed that only 6% of people who call themselves Christians have a worldview that is aligned with the Word of God. That means that 94% of Christians have a view of the world that is more like the world than it is like Jesus. In Revelation 3, Jesus warned us this would happen, that the church would be lukewarm. He also said in that chapter that he would spew that church out of his mouth. He is disgusted by it. This series is for people who don't want to be lukewarm. This series will challenge you to examine what you believe. Keep an open mind and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal God's truth to you in these messages. If you sense that your view of the world is out of alignment with God's word, ask the Holy Spirit to help you change. In Matthew 7, Jesus said there are two paths that we can walk in this life. One leads to life, the other leads to destruction. A biblical worldview is the only one that leads to life and the abundant life that Jesus promised. If you have any questions about anything you hear in this message, let me know. So grab your Bible and let's see what God has to say to us today. It's my pleasure to share with you guys this morning. Uh, if you don't know, my name's David. Um, been part of this church for a long time. Uh, Jeff, I think this is the first time I've been here while you lead worship. I have to tell you, thank you so much. You are a huge blessing to our body and to me personally, always being willing to step in and, and take over when needed. It was a true blessing to be able to worship with you. Terry, thanks for always being here, man. <laughs> All right, let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and uh, we'll read it in just a minute. So every day we have to make countless decisions. I tried looking up a statistic, and honestly, any statistic or research on this had questionable methods to try to tell you how many decisions you have to make a day. None of them could agree on, uh, you know, what the criteria for a decision is. But one of the studies said that we make upwards of 35,000 decisions every day. And um, I read a, a critique of these studies that compared lots of different studies, and they cracked me up because this critique ended up saying, given all the research that's out there, we make between something between 17 decisions and 70,000 decisions every day. I was like, I was trying to make a point here. Come on. But uh, we make a lot of decisions. And uh, I guess what you choose as your criteria is really going to determine how you think of that number. But, you know, we make trivial decisions like what we're going to wear today, um, you know, which way we're going to take to the store. I don't like driving the same road every day. I like to take different routes. So, you know, that's one of the trivial decisions I make. I'll, I'll turn this way this time. You know, then we make important decisions like what am I going to do at work today? This has consequences. Um, it's important to decide what my daily work looks like. You know, uh, maybe your car repair light is on and you have to decide, do I deal with it now or do I deal with it next month? And then we also have crucial decisions like, do I buy a house or do I take a new job? Do I get married or should I have kids? Those are decisions that are going to affect your whole life. But there is one preeminent decision that everyone has to make. And there's no getting around it. If you're going to pretend that you're not making this decision, then you've made this decision. And the response to this one decision is going to inform and direct all the other decisions that we make. And this one question is, whom do you serve? 
And if you've been a Christian a while or you've been around the church, I'm sure you've heard the verse Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And hopefully that's the decision that we're making. Um, today, we're going to learn in the Bible what it means to serve the Lord. Specifically, the Bible talks about who you can choose to serve. And then it has quite a few things to say about what that service should look like. So let's go in um, Romans chapter 12. Let's begin in verse 9. And um, if you have a New King James Version, um, you know, the translators put their little section headers. I love this one. It says, behave like a Christian. You know, this is, uh, at least the translators thought, this was a good passage telling Christians how they should behave. And let's read um, from verse 9 to verse 21, and then we'll pray, and then uh, we'll get into talking about serving. Let, who, uh, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, I will repay says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not, become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, uh, and we pray that you would help us to open our hearts, to receive your word um, as you would have it this morning, God, and that it would find um, somewhere to root and to begin a work in our hearts to um, change us from the inside out, that we would be more like Christ uh, through what we learn this morning. Lord, help us to be humble, um, to set pride aside, and to um, take up your word knowing that it is inerrant and true. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I like this passage because it is a series of commands. It is things that we have choices in doing. Um, abhor what is evil. You can choose to hate evil or you can choose to celebrate in it. According to Paul's words in Romans 6, just a couple pages before, serving is being obedient to your master. Romans 6.16 6, says, do you, know, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? There are only two masters, we read in Joshua 24 that you can choose to serve the Lord, and the only other decision is to choose to serve sin. That can look like a lot of things, and people use all kinds of different words to describe it, but ultimately you are serving sin or you are serving God. Those are the only two options. I spent some time looking for articles and opinions online um, from a worldly viewpoint about serving and service, you know, what service looks like, whom you should serve, uh, serving to what ends. And here's what I found. <laughs> Who
who should serve first in my tennis doubles team? <laughs> Serving legal papers when I don't know where they live. Uh, I was kind of surprised at uh, how much this talk of service is really a, a Christian idea. Ultimately, the world serves something, but they're not going to describe it in that way. So I had to use, you know, Google magic of uh, finding search results that don't include God or church or Bible to find some lists of what the world thinks is important in service. And I found um, these kinds of things, you know, serve yourself by putting your needs first, then you'll have time and energy for others. Serve others because it feels good. Uh, and that serving others came with caveats, like setting boundaries and deciding who you will serve based on uh, this one website was insisting on common values and things like that. Serve to find purpose in life. Serving leads to longer life. And servant leadership can lead to increased profit. I was blown away by how many of these websites had to do with material wealth. And um, I was talking to pastor earlier this week, and maybe I'm just naive. I was raised in the church. And this idea of service has been around me all my life. But then finding these websites talking about, like, money success over and over again, it blew my mind how much that is the focus of people. And I'm not trying to say that I am immune to that, but uh, it was just at the forefront of so many people's minds. I guess that's what you get when you look at Forbes.com, though. So... <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of websites, okay? But Forbes was one of them. I should have known. Okay, so as a slave to sin, obeying your master in the deception that any of these things I just listed are good things can lead to all sorts of evil. You know, the first one was about serving yourself first. That leads to some of the crazy stuff we see in the world today. We see people mutilating their bodies for their own happiness or their own adventure into something that's not going to lead to happiness. We see people demanding the rights to kill babies. Pastor Randy talked about um, Senate Bill AB 2223, or I guess Assembly Bill. And, uh, you know, they celebrate in the, what they call the right to choose to end the life of another human being for their own selfish desires. And they insist that the things God calls abominations should be celebrated. You know, we just got out of June with Pride Month and everybody celebrating anything and everything. And God looks at that and says, I told you what I think of that. Um, but they serve themselves. They are slaves to sin, not to God. The assumption that you know what you need is a foolish endeavor or a foolish uh, assumption in the first place. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man but the end is the way of death. Um, there are also those who seek, you know, the greater good or some kind of like humanitarian efforts. Um, and if you look at their works, they can seem like good works. You know, they may be taking care of the poor and the needy. Um, some of them make good bosses who lead by example, or maybe your neighbor who is a very kind and neighborly person. But like we said, at the end of the day, you are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to the obedience of God. The world can't comprehend or perceive this. They think that you can be just a good person. And what always gets me with that is like, well, what about the end of it? When you go on out of this life into the next, 
What does a good person have a bearing on that? Like, what does that even mean? If you believe there is nothing on the other side, then what does it, being a good person here have anything to do with anything? But if you believe there is something on the other side, then who gets to decide, you know, what our works here decide over there? Anyway, this is not in my notes. I'm just like, <laughs> stay on track, David. Uh, see, now I've even lost where I Okay. You can't be a good person. At the end of the day, any work um, that does not lead people to their Savior, or at least attempt to point people to their Savior, uh, it lacks anything good. You can't save others by pulling them up out of poverty. You can't save souls by protecting trees and animals. And you can't close the gates of hell with kind words and some change in your pocket. God commands us to take care of the poor and to steward this earth and to stand against Satan. But you can't do thing, these things apart from God. Doing good things cannot make you a good person. Psalm 14 verse 3 says, There is no one who does good, no, not one. So how is serving God different than these other types of things, specifically the ones we just talked about, things that God does command us to do, but somehow the world does apart from God and it lacks any goodness. How does serving God attribute to those works um, righteousness or value? If someone who is a slave to sin can perform seemingly good deeds, what are these characteristics of obedience to God that make them actually good? Um, there's many reasons. One of them is the motivations are different. You know, while the slave to sin seeks either self-indulgence or self-righteousness, the slave to obedience is going to seek glorification of their master, that is God. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or, do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So our motivations are different. We're not seeking to appease ourselves and our fleshly desires, and we're not seeking to make ourselves some kind of good person. We are seeking the glorification of God in heaven. Another marked difference is who's doing the work. The Bible says no one does good, not one. What does that mean for believers? Can I do a good work? The answer is still no. There is not one who can do good. If you are attempting to do God's work apart from God's power, your work is in vain. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. While there is this truth that even our own works are not good, God makes such an amazing promise that we can be partakers in his good works. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. And Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God the Father begins that work, and he brings it to its end. And we are invited to be a part of that, but it's God who does the work through us. And finally, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
God made these good works for us to walk in. It's not going, oh, that seems like a good idea. I'm going to do that now. God preordained my time and interactions with others so that I could be part of his work in their life or in my own life even. So another marked difference is the attitude of our service then. In seeking to understand the state of our hearts in service, we should look to our example in the word. That is Jesus, God the Son, the creator who humbled himself before God the Father. Paul explains this in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. But you and I, the creation, we have no claim to deity or a right to glory, as it says that Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, meaning he was equal with God. And he didn't take anything away from God the Father by being God the Son. You and I, we don't have that claim. We have nothing of ourselves. Our position before a holy and perfect God should be that of complete humility. And this isn't a humility born out of regret for sin. We should regret our sins. We should pray for forgiveness. We should confess our sins and be washed clean. But Jesus, who was without sin was perfectly humble, which means we can be humble apart from our sin. We can find other reasons to be humble. This humility is an understanding of my place as it relates to God. God is infinite. He is infinite in power. He's infinite in knowledge and in holiness. He transcends our ability to even understand how big he is. And so what am I next to that God? You know, how can I count myself as anything? I can do nothing. I have nothing. And truly, I am nothing. And yet Jesus came to be nothing beside us. He gave up all that was rightfully his, and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. If I am nothing and my position is that of slave to the obedience of God, my service can only be performed in humility. Um, I've been reading this book with Pastor Rick called Humility and Absolute Surrender, and the women's study is going to start going through this. If you want your mind to be blown on this subject, you should read this book. And take it slow. Talk with somebody about it. Because this is some heavy-hitting stuff, talking about exactly what we're talking about. I'm going to quote it right now. The faithful servant, this is uh, Andrew Murray from his book Humility, The faithful servant who recognizes his position finds a real pleasure in supplying the wants of the master or his guests. When we see that humility is something infinitely deeper than contrition and accept it as our participation in the life of Jesus, we shall begin to learn that it is our true nobility and that to prove it in being servants of all is the highest fulfillment of our destiny as men created in the image of God. This idea that humility is something infinitely deeper than contrition. This is what I was talking about, that our humility is not born of our sin, though our sin should cause us to be humble. 
There's something so much deeper than that. Our position before God and our opportunity through Jesus humbling himself to be a participant in the life of Jesus. Jesus's life is defined by his humility and his humility before the Father compelled him to service of those around him. Mark 10:45 says, "For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many." God is moving in people's lives, and he has invited us into his work. Those who remain as slaves to sin, they can't understand this idea of humility leading to serving others. Uh, Their way of viewing humility is way too skewed by pride and by sin. Um, And they seek to please only themselves or to gain something through this service. But this attitude of humility in Christian service is the defining attribute of how our service is different than that of the world. All the other questions we could ask about service uh, and how Christian service is different, it hangs on this one issue of humility. If we were going to ask, who should we serve? The world is going to tell you to serve others when it benefits you and when that benefit dries up to not expend any more time or energy in that relationship and to move on. For Christians, who you serve literally doesn't matter. If you are walking in humility, who that person is that comes before you makes no difference. They are the guest of the master. And in my humility, I should be ready to serve them in whatever way God has called me to do. And that's not easy, you know. It's easy when we talk about walking out on the street and encountering some stranger. We have no prior relationship. I can humble myself and give that person what they need, whether it's, you know, $20 or a ride somewhere. Not that I'm suggesting to pick up hitchhikers. We live in a different world now. You can't do that anymore. Um, But, you know, those people who you have no prior relationship for, it's surprisingly easy to find that humility in your heart. But what about your friends or your family who have wronged you? And like serious wrongs, things that were not right, and maybe they haven't repented or reached out to try to amend that relationship. If your master, God, calls you to serve that person, your humility should result in serving that person regardless of those past wrongs. That their sins against you are not really against you, they were against God. And he's told you to help them. And it's your job to do so. What about your enemies? You know, we don't often think about enemies, but you know, maybe you have someone at work who just like every decision they make is to try to undermine whatever the heck you're doing. I'm telling you, there's people. It's so hard. Romans 12.20 speaks to this. We read it earlier. It says, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. We are called to serve those who are against us. And this whole heaping coals of fire on their head, you know that this is not like to burn them and kill them. That's not what the Bible is trying to say. And it's not like, you know what? He's my enemy and I'm going to serve him so that he'll burn in hell. That's the opposite of God's intent with what he's talking about here. These heaps of coals of fire is the conviction of the Holy Spirit on that other person's life. If they've treated you so wrongly and then they see you serving them with humility and kindness and grace and the love of God, 
It would be our hope that the Holy Spirit would come in their hearts and begin to convict them. And their guilt would feel like heaps of coals of fire on their heart, and they might turn and be saved and come to know Jesus Christ. Okay, so when should we serve? The world would advise us to take some me time and to be careful about not giving too much and uh, ending up in burnout. For Christians, we should be willing and ready to serve whenever the master has need of us. And we'll come back to this idea of burnout a little bit later. Um, Another question we could ask is, where should we serve? For most of us, he's going to call us to service in our homes or in our workplace or maybe here in our church. He may call you to the ends of the earth. You know, we pray regularly for Pastor Brandon in Indonesia. And just last week, we had Linda from Albania here. Are you humble enough to be ready to give up everything for the master's call to somewhere else? Or are we still clinging to something that's here? You know, well, my family's here, or I've got a nice job here. Uh, You know, it could be any myriad of reasons. Are you ready to give that up for the master? Not only is this attitude of humility going to be the defining um, attribute of our service, but it's also going to be the condition by which our service can be manifested effectively. That is to say that you can serve God without being completely humble. I'm nowhere near that point. Even Paul says that he has not yet attained that. And yet God would still use me. But the more I am able to become humble and empty myself, the more God can use me um, in the way that he would desire. God will use his servants, but he's given us the ability to choose how usable we are. If we're holding on to things or unwilling to give God sovereignty over our lives, we become less useful. It's just a matter of fact. And the sad reality is it can become so bad that God may have to choose to use somebody else and we lose out on the opportunity to be part of God's will in somebody's life. But if through humility we can empty ourselves of pride and expectation, God will fill the empty vessel and do miraculous things. When we empty ourselves, we allow God to be and to do all through us. Quoting again Andrew Murray from his book, Humility, Until such a humility be what we seek in Christ, above our chief joy and welcome at any price, there is very little hope of a religion that will conquer the world. I'm thinking of another quote now from the book. I didn't write it down. Um, But he says, um, the world with its keen eye, and I can't remember now, so I'm just going to paraphrase it. The world with its keen eye will see your service that lacks godliness in it, and they will use it as an excuse to say that a heavenly life produces no specially heavenly fruit. That in, in our service, we should be striving to increase in humility, because if we don't, or if we go backwards, the world sees that. And they use it as proof against God. And then in our weak act of service, we may undermine, you know, what we truly desire, which is to spread the kingdom. So life of a service as a slave to the obedience of Christ, that's what we're called to. In humility before God the Father, Jesus showed his love for us through service. Then he gave a new commandment. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, Jesus speaking, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If the world is to see him in us, 
it will be through our love for one another. But this is not the love that the world thinks, which is accept and affirm everything. But it's through humility to God the Father, and we achieve that opportunity to participate in the life of Christ. Ultimately, this means that our service is our witness. We've all heard the saying, actions speak louder than words. You know, I could stand here and speak from this pulpit until I'm blue in the face, or you can go and yell and scream at people on the road. But that very little reaches somebody. If my life, apart from speaking here, is in shambles, and we see pastors who fall away, and the, the damage that that wreaks across whole communities. My words should be the product of my actions. The things that I'm doing and the state of my heart in doing those things should rile up the words inside me so that I can share them with others. But if instead I'm beginning with my words and going and living a life of however I choose, it, it achieves very little. And in fact, the Bible says that you will be judged greatly for that. It is our desire to see the kingdom of God expanded and to see the lost come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. This will be through humility and service that we will bear witness of his love. So we've been talking about um, service in pretty general terms um, but I do want to take a minute and talk about service here in the church, because there's something to be said specifically about that. Serving in the church is an opportunity to show love to one another, like we were just talking about. Um, you know, this is an interesting thing. You may have not had the opportunity to meet everybody in this church. I can say there are people who regularly come to this church who I don't think I've ever even spoken to. Maybe that's a problem. Pastor goes, hmm. And I'm like, oh, hmm. <laughs> but, but it's true. I'm not the only one. I know it. Okay. Back up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but uh, my point is, your service in the church can still be ministering into their life. That even if you don't know somebody, and okay, maybe you've talked to everyone in the church, but maybe you don't know them that well. Maybe you're not friends and we hang out and I go to dinner at your house and you text me when stuff is going hard. You know, our relationship is surface level. Hey, how you doing? Nice to see you this Sunday morning, whatever. You serving in this church is an opportunity to serve that person in a deeper way. Do you know why the chairs are out? Because somebody put them there. You may not know that person who laid out the chairs, but that person laid out the chairs so that you would have a place to sit. Do you know why we have clean floors and a clean bathroom? Because somebody chose to fulfill the, uh, the command of Jesus to love one another. That person is usually Cindy. If you don't know her, she blesses you every single week. I ended up at this church 10 years ago my mother-in-law saw a sign on the side of the road. I don't know who put that sign there. It's probably Pastor Rick, but there's a whole sign ministry too. It could have been anybody. 10 years ago, that sign led me here and that person's act of service in the church has affected my spiritual growth probably more than anything else by coming here to this church. You can do something great in somebody's life with a simple act of service. And there's so many places to serve. You know, there's hospitality if you're somebody who's, you know, you 
like talking to people, that's a great place. You can serve in the sound ministry. You can help Cindy clean. She's always the one doing it. You can serve on the worship team. You can go into children's ministry. There's so many places and an opportunity to serve in the lives of people indirectly that it's a shame that it's not happening more often. And I don't mean to shame anybody here. I mean worldwide. It's a shame that we don't see the power of God so much stronger in people's lives because people are clinging to their time. Well, I don't want to get to church a half an hour earlier, or it's hard to stay late because this, that, and the other reason, you know. Um, Those are all just standing in the way of maybe something that God wants to do through you in somebody else's life. Serving in the church is also a training ground for serving out in the world. Are you unsure of your knowledge of the Bible, or are you incomplete in your understanding of the fundamentals? The church is a perfect place to work on that. Get a discipleship book and sit down with somebody, you know, maybe somebody younger than you or somebody earlier in their faith than you, and talk about these things with one another. Those fundamentals that you talk about together will strengthen your faith so much, and you'll be so much more ready to give an answer for your convictions when the world challenges you on it teaching the children's ministry. There are a couple kids back there who ask the toughest questions. I'm like, why? And I've really had to work on myself with this because at first I was like, I'm trying to get through the lesson. But then I'm like, you know what though? This child has a, a real question. And it's a question that adults are struggling with. And the faith An ability to believe of a child, the Bible teaches, is something that adults should look to and strive for. And that child's ready and willing to receive something from me if I would just give it to him. But trust me, they're hard questions. Sometimes like, you know what? I'm going to have to go look that up and next week we'll get back to it. Here in the church too, though, there are those around us. You know, you don't have to do these things on your own. If you go to disciple somebody and you don't know the answer... You don't have to make it up or try to find it on your own and struggle through that. You can ask other people. It's a training ground because there's those around ready to train. And if they are willing to help you in your weak areas or challenge your understanding of Scripture, again, when you go out into the world, you'll be so much more sure of your convictions as you are challenged. So I'm ending way early. I thought I had a longer message, but uh uh-uh. So let's read Romans chapter 12 again. And we're going to reread these words and think about what we're talking about in service and humility and what Paul really means by all of these commands to make a choice and how one choice is service to sin and the other choice is slaves to the obedience of Christ in humility. And then when I'm done reading, we'll pray and then Randy will come up and we'll take communion and we'll remember the greatest act of service, Jesus broken body and spilled blood. So Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. 
Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Heavenly Father, as we come and we speak of service to you as our master and us as slaves to obedience, and as we talk about our place before you in humility, Lord, I pray that we would desire so much more to be an active participant in your will and in your work that through the life of Jesus and his example of humility before you, we would see that there is so much to be gained by giving up everything to you. And that, Lord, when we truly empty ourselves and we become an empty vessel before you, Lord, that you have the opportunity to fill us up even more with your Holy Spirit and that uh, we would see your work profoundly in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Lord, I pray that as we saw the way that the world views service, that we would stand against those things, Lord, having pride or selfishness in the things that we do, but rather being so willing to uh, give up our expectations or our, our requirements to your service, Lord, but that we would find ourselves in unconditional service to the master. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time of communion when we get to remember, um, the humility that led you to the cross, Lord, and your broken body and your spilled blood for us that we could have salvation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we all seek to align our worldview with God's word. If you have any questions on anything you heard in this message, let us know. You can go to calvaryfv.com slash worldview. There you'll find a place to send us your comments or questions. You'll also find other messages in this series. You can also go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways that we'd like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know if there's any way we can be praying for you. You can send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please leave a comment or review and subscribe to this channel so that you don't miss other things that we publish. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.